Hello, and welcome to another episode of Study of X, the bi-weekly podcast where we cover the Krakowat era of X-Men comics in chronological order. Uh, my name is Tim, and joining me as always is Chris and Sergio. You two want to say hi? Hi. No, not really. Yeah, that's very fair. So, uh, yeah, this week we got New Mutants number two, X-Force number two, and Fallen Angels number two. Two of which are pretty good. I was about to say, (laughs) two of them are pretty good, one of them, uh, debatable. Yeah. I wonder what that that one is. Hmm. It's New Mutants. Um, It's probably New Mutants. So, yeah, we want to get into it a little bit. Yeah, let's just hop right into it. Space Uh, Jail. Yeah, unfortunately, we are going to be starting with Space Jail. Uh, with New Mutants number two, written by Jonathan Hickman and originally released in November of 2019. Uh, we're opening up here with a pretty good recap uh, from Sunspot's perspective as to how they got here, their time in jail, and their unfortunate hiring of the worst space lawyer in the galaxy. Uh-huh. Uh, I was unaware of um, Sunspot's business dealings. Yeah, uh, Spun- Sunspot is rich. Uh, that dude's got money. Yeah, and rich is like an understatement. He's very rich. Uh, but where, where did his money come from? Uh, his dad. He is a he is a product of uh, philanthropy. No, not generational nepotism. Wealth. Yeah, yeah, there we go. Generational wealth. That that that's probably better. Uh, but yeah, apparently he runs something called X Corp. Uh, made sure to sign a bunch of documents to have it so it nothing weird happens when he's in space, and off he went. Well, a bunch of white lawyers looked uh, from behind. Yeah, just a lot mm-hmm. of them, like a crowd. Uh-huh. Uh, and I, I gotta say, this is actually a really fun recap. I wish there were more recaps done from characters' perspectives, uh, especially because for New Mutants, these are new characters for me, and I'm sure, sure they are for Sergio as well. So getting to know a bit more about Sunspot just by the way he describes this is really fun. Uh, he's kind of self-centered, but in a fun way, if oh, there's he, a way to put that. He's a, he's a brat, but he's a brat with his heart in his right place. Yeah, yeah. Like, like he, he talks like he's the most important person in the room, but he also really cares about his friends. I feel like that's on, like, Star-Lord's profile uh, page. Yeah, it, he's Star-Lord if he was rich, is almost kind of what this feels like, especially with the whole spacefaring stuff. Uh, he, he complains about the thread count of the uh, prison jumpsuits. Mm-hmm. Just to remind you that he is, again, very rich. Uh, but the space lawyer that they hired, which is the same chameleon-looking fellow from the end of the last issue, uh, does a really bad job because they are still found guilty of crimes against the Shi'ar Empire. Uh, I, it feels to me like he didn't really ever have a chance. I feel like we're being unfair to him by saying he, he did a bad job. Look, he, you know, this was going to be a hard case either way. Uh, bringing it back a little bit, I do uh, the one last thing I kind of want to mention from this recap is the image of apparently Alana every time someone a fight would break out in prison would just kind of summon a sword. The fight would stop, guards would try to take it from her, and then she would just despawn the sword. 
And I don't know, that's kind of hilarious. It is fun. There's an elephant man in that panel. Yeah. Yeah, he's just chilling. He's fun. I would love to know more about him. Uh, but yeah, the um, the this case does not go the space lawyer's way. No, it looks like the uh, imperialist empire that says everything will soon be theirs means that there are no people outside of their empire. So everybody is within their laws. I'm going to question the premise of there being a trial at all, if this is like their conception of the universe uh, within this empire. But I, I get they do it for the bits. And, you know, I cannot argue with it. Uh, something I really like about this big spread of the uh, court case is uh, it looks just, you know, like a courtroom, but uh, there's windows in this courtroom and outside is just space, which is just really funny. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. it, it feels almost like Star Trek, just yeah. to remind you that, hey, we're in space right now. Yeah, I, 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 I find it fascinating to like notice the places where the lore is replaced by just mundane stuff so we can make the usual bits and go through the like character archetypes and usual story bits for a uh, court case so it's really mm -hmm. interesting how like the the writer kind of gives up and goes yeah this is just a normal uh courtroom uh, there's just space out the windows yeah it's just and, and, the, and the witnesses look kind of weird or rather the jury right yeah it's it's definitely like this feels like not how this would actually work but it's it's a funny bit so i'm not gonna just harp on it too hard yeah i i feel like there's a lot of that creeping in right now especially after powers and house effects which were so self-serious um we're kind of getting to see the more ridiculous uh suspension of disbelief straining bits of the uh comics comic universe uh which which is fun it's it's okay i'm I'm not asking for like uh gritty realism or, or a right not very, right not everything needs to be x-force or even like house of x and powers of x it's a it's okay to just have fun once in a while and that's that's definitely what this is yeah uh to me it's less about tone and more about consistency uh but yeah absolutely Right. Uh, so, yeah, we got uh, Cannonball and Smasher in our next page. Mm-hmm. Uh, thankfully, everybody's... Uh, well, they are under house arrest, essentially. But they're under house arrest by their friend, so it kind of works out. Right. They are released into the custody of Smasher and Cannonball, and Cannonball is the person they came to space to look for, uh, Smasher being his wife. Um, mm-hmm who is a super guardian, so she's pretty high up in the rankings of the Shi'ar. Um, really nice uh, panel here at the bottom with everyone just kind of group-hugging Sam, except for Mondo and Chamber, who just don't really know him. Hmm. Yeah, they just kind of tagged along just to go into space, it feels like, which I don't blame them. Yeah, I, I did some looking into this, and apparently they are... I, I think these characters were introduced in Generation X, but they haven't really been new mutants before, so I'm I'm sure they have familiarity with some of these characters, but the ones that are familiar with Sam are the ones that do the group hug, and Sunspot, who is pouting at the moment. 
Yeah, I was going to say, if there is a highlight in this issue, it's probably Sunspot and Sam, but mostly Sunspot, because you get a really clear look at who he is as a character just by a few lines or even the way he's pouting in the background because Sam is not a huge wreck without his best friend, and he's upset about it. Or I should say air quotes, upset. I don't think he's actually upset. He's just putting on a front. Yeah. Uh, so, also just for some brief history, uh, Smasher and Cannonball started a relationship in another one of Hickman's comics before this, um, The Avengers, in which uh, those two and Sunspot were on the same Avengers team. So, okay, that makes sense. Right. But yeah, I, I don't really know any of these people. I am off to the side with... Uh... These two others, Mondo and uh, Chamber here, just being like, I don't, yes. not not sure what's going on. Don't don't feel comfortable joining the group hug yet. Yeah, I, I mean, I know what's going on, uh, but yeah, you you just stand off to the side. Uh, yeah. these are not your people, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, we get some clowning on the Star Jammers before uh, we see some stuff with a uh, sunspot pouting i also uh i really like smasher here she has real big um wife whose husband's friends are interfering with stuff energy here absolutely she is here because her husband begged her to come and she's just kind of doing it for him not for these people yeah yeah she's she's got some really valid complaints yeah mm-hmm. It's it's very it's very fair. Like she's gonna be supportive and she's here for them, but like she's not happy about this. No, not at all. They woke up the baby. They they had to go fly out. They weren't planning on this. Mm-hmm. And as we'll see, it will get more complicated. But for now, we are still in the simple times of how do we get Sunspot out of his, you know, depressive funk? Easy. Smasher just punches him in the face. Yeah, he just got sucked on the face. Which, yeah. honestly, kind of deserved, especially what she says afterwards. Don't blame her at all for it. Yeah, again, I feel like this is a... She's very fairly upset about this situation, and she's doing the best she can. I feel like she's being as reasonable as the situation calls for, but she wants to give Sunspot some tough love here. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Sunspot uh, takes this in stride, luckily, and uh, I guess they're just buds again. They hug it out, and we're good to go. Mm-hmm. I, I do like Ileana here at the last little panel, who is telling Smasher, like, hey, you know I was going to punch the guy, right? Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, after that, we kind of also get a uh, a little a, a spread page here about the court case, in which case... um. The uh, judge here says the court further orders that the defendant's space lawyer be sanctioned for incompetence. Just, I don't know, man. I feel, I feel bad for this this little alien. I, I told you, man, he was the actual worst space lawyer money could buy. Yeah. But I also do feel bad for him. The poor guy was trying. Yeah, I, I, I don't see how he could have won this, honestly. No, not at all. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I wonder what a more competent lawyer would have done in this case. Right. I mean, the sentence is as fake as the trial was, so I, I don't know what they want. Yeah, it's yeah. it's real interesting because, again, it felt like the trial, just like there was no way they were going to win this. It was obviously guilty, but the actual sentence was, here you go, you're in the custody of your friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
I, I, you know, if you see it from a different perspective, uh, they played right into his hands. Great lawyer. Right. Absolutely. Got him off exactly. Ooh, there you go. Yeah. He's playing the long game. There you go. Right. And to finish us off here in Shi'ar space, uh, Smasher gets a call from her boss, the Magister, where they're going to have to go on a bit of a detour. But we'll get to that later because we are going to be talking more about the Empire first. Uh huh. Yeah. So um, we get a gladiator here in this next page, who is the one that tells Smasher that they're going to have to go do some stuff. Um, and we we kind of figure out that there is a, a hierarchy that's going on right now in the Shi'ar. Uh, gladiator, who is a pretty frequent character in just X-Men lore is also kind of very similar to Superman in terms of like a power set is the current leader of the Shi'ar. Uh, are they a mutant? Uh, they are not. They are just a alien. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. But from my understanding of the character, cause I've only seen him when he shows up in other comics is he's very much the, uh, Kind of like the Captain America for the Shi'ar Empire. He he lives and dies by that empire and stands for it. So he he's very nationalistic in that way. Yeah, okay. um, he's 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 someone that's going to be very straight laced, but for this empire, he's pretty much just their version of a superhero, but currently leading it at the moment. Um. So you kind of see something that's gone on recently is his two kind of uh, number one and number two here are Mentor and Oracle. One of them is the leader of like the intelligence or the intelligence advisor and the other one is the leader of the Imperial Guard. And he apparently chose them because they both represent the two uh, dueling ideologies of the Shi'ar, which is uh, both consolidation and expansion. Hmm. Yeah. The, another Tuesday for empires. Right. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. So, but something important to know as we keep on going with this uh, issue here. Uh, and once we get that fun political information, uh, we are back on the ship where the new mutants, or at least most of them, are hanging out and playing poker with some card alien cards, pretty much. Uh, and it looks like somebody's going to win until they all mention that they actually can't read the cards. Uh, yeah, uh, this is a very extended scene, but it's pretty funny. Uh, they are very confident and betting like they know what they're doing and no one actually knows what they're doing. It's very silly. Yeah. Chamber mm -hmm. says, Chamber says, read them and weep. Mm-hmm. It, it's, it's just a fun bit. Honestly, this comic is just kind of full of fun little bits where it's like, oh, you get to see the characters. Yeah, they're really good friends. You know, they get along well. They have a good time. They have laughs. It's just kind of more scenes to build up that camaraderie that they're going for here. Although I do like in this scene of after they're playing the cards, uh, we do have uh, Sunspot and Sam off to the side, where Sunspot is catching his best friend up on Krakoa and everything that's going on. And it's kind of a nice, more serious conversation where he explains Krakoa, how their friend Cypher made up a whole new language for all mutants, and him being on the council and kind of what this means. It's a very organic 
conversation between friends, honestly. The the way they're talking, I could see myself, you know, talking this way to one of my best friends and just catching them up on the news and everything. Yeah, I feel like the familiarity of these two characters really comes through here. Uh, like, these do feel like really good friends here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like how he displays his pride for... um. What's the, what's the translator guy's name? Uh, Cypher. Oh, Cipher, right, Doug. Yeah. yeah, he he's kind of trying to play him up on his role in the council, even if he is a translator. He says it's kind of a seat at the table, um, so definitely you know a step up from whatever he was ne- uh, previously. Right. So I do think that I do think that details need. Uh, it does endear me uh, to their relationship. Yeah, like it's yeah. that's his friend. He's gonna talk him up a bit. It's a big deal. Yeah, mm. which I I do think helps contrast that arrogance that comes across, because without that, you'd be like, well, yeah, of course, this guy's just self centered. He doesn't really care. But no, there is a small part of him in, or not a small part of him in there. But it leaks out every now and again of like, yeah, no, this guy is a really good friend. Like he's gonna stand by them no matter what. Right. Yeah. Um. Also, just during all this, you have Wolfsbane just kind of cuddled up on the couch sleeping, and that's just kind of adorable also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's it's cute. She's just kind of hanging out there. I don't think that posture is good for her. I, I think she's going to wake up with a like cramp on her neck. Yeah, it's one of those things that looks real comfortable, but probably isn't actually very comfortable in practice. Yeah, I was thinking that too, but her mutant power is also, like, wolf-based, so maybe it's actually comfortable, you know, how, like, a dog curls up? So, I don't know, maybe it is good for her. Maybe. Mm. It it looks comfortable when my dog does it. Right. Yeah, yeah. But when a person does it, eh, not so much, much, yeah. Uh, So, but the two best friends have a good laugh about Smasher punching Sunspot's face as she walks in and tells them that they have good news and bad news. Uh, The good news is they're let off of their charges. Awesome. That was super easy. The bad news is they got a mission and they are being conscripted to fulfill it. I like how we've officially moved past the status quo where we're in at the beginning of this issue, like 20 pages later. Um, so that's fun. I also find the shape of the spaceship very funny. Uh, is it supposed to look like a bug or some sort of mask? Yeah, it looks like a face almost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure what it was going for, but I also kind of like it. It's very, I don't like to say the term alien, but it is very alien. So I think it's fun. Yeah, it looks like a like praying mantis face mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, it really does feel like this issue just really took its time with just kind of introducing Cannonball to the rest of this and kind of catching him up on what the new status quo was. And, uh, yeah, I I honestly think that's kind of time well spent here. It does, it gives us a lot of character moments and you have less plot moving forward. Uh, but I don't know, it's it's the kind of stuff where I just feel like that's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree, especially compared to the other comics we've read where it's just kind of plot point, plot point, plot point. This one is definitely the character-focused storyline, I would say, and it does it really well. Like, you know, like Sergio said, even though this has been mostly character development, we've still moved on. Like, the plot point we started with is gone. Now we're on to something else, and it feels supernatural. Right. So, um, yeah, we are... 
we we now switch over to the Shi'ar throne world here, where it looks like um, this uh, we have a kid here who is now getting promoted to the rule of ruler of the Shi'ar. Yes, uh, here we meet Zandra as she is being told that instead of the Magister being the temporary leader, she should probably take the reins again, especially because I guess space politics aren't doing too hot right now. Uh, and he has this in mind that if she's going to be ruler, she needs to have proper advisors. And while they have the two uh, kind of competing ideals for this empire, he thinks she needs a third. Uh, somebody who knows the political game a lot better than he does. So to be clear, not Superman is stepping down? Right. Hmm. And he was the one who gave, uh, who gave the mission, right? Yes. Okay, and that's because yeah, yeah, this he, makes sense. Yeah, he he wants to find an advisor for her. Uh, also, for a yes. little bit of uh, context here, just kind of how this relates to the mutants. Uh, this is Xavier's daughter. Oh. Huh. Yeah, yeah, very not clear. I was also surprised to learn that. I also don't know the story behind her at all. Uh, I just know that yeah, she is actually uh, Xavier's daughter. Why she is also the ruler of a massive space empire? I I don't I don't know. Well, but it's cool. He he fell in love with her mother, who was the ruler of the space empire before. So yeah, that would be Xavier. That would be him. Uh, during the uh, very first New Mutants um run, Magneto is kind of the Xavier figure for them for a lot of that. And that is due to Xavier needing to go to space to stay alive. Uh, and that's kind of where he spends a lot of time with her mother. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So she's half half mutant. Does she have a power set? Uh, I don't know if she's has a power set, but she she may have one. I'd have to look into that a little bit. I do know that she does have telepathy, but I don't know if that is something that she our uh, royal family just have, or if that's just because she is part mutant. It's also a weird thing where I don't think it was like a natural thing. It was just like they kind of had Xavier and her mother's DNA laying around just kind of made her. Oh, one of those weird comic book storyline things. Right. Okay. Sure. Um, but yeah, so they need to go get her, um, aunt. Yes, her aunt, aptly named Deathbird, which I'm sure means she is great at family get-togethers. Uh, and she immediately throws a spear at the new mutants, which I guess for Sunspot means that he immediately is just gonna fall in love with her. Right. Uh, I like the framing of this also, uh, Gladiator's kind of explaining, like, who it is and what he is trying to accomplish here and while he's doing that and explaining that he's trying to get her aunt we kind of see the new mutants walking up to this place where Deathbird is and the spear being thrown yeah she she looks sharp right she is extremely a, uh gladiator describes her i actually don't know much about Deathbird. gladiator describes her as who else but the most savage duplicitous and truly violent person would be best for such a political task so uh yeah yeah, I, I can see she's like hiding a, it's either a wing or a cape made of feathers, 
I'm, I'm looking forward to whatever that is. She's also got a separate cape, so maybe leaning towards wings. Uh, we'll see. That, that would actually be really cool. I gotta say, I'm digging her 80s look. It just gives me like an 80s vibe. I think it's because there's so much purple going on. But like, I dig it. I really like it. Yeah. Uh, she also must use a lot of like hair products so she can like keep it up propped up like that. Yeah, it's like a like two triangles. It's honestly really impressive. So are her nails. Like she she's taking care of herself despite being on this very deserted looking planet. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good design. It's a fun hook. Uh excited to see where that one ends up going. Um I th- think this is where we take a little bit of a break from hickman's run though uh i think issue three is going to be a different storyline uh let's see taking a look at it you are correct yeah so in new mutants number three uh we actually do go to a new writer uh and therefore a new storyline for new mutants uh it's I have some thoughts and feelings about that, but I think we can discuss those when we get there. Uh, But for now, for the end of issue two, we have this cliffhanger here where the new mutants now need to bring Deathbird back to the Shi'ar homeworld. Oh, so does that mean we're going to get a time skip or is it going to be something entirely different? Uh, It's going to be something a little bit different for a little bit and we'll we'll eventually kind of go back to it. It's a this this run starts off a little bit weird where you kind of have Hickman trading off with someone else but that storyline will resolve okay Mm -hmm. we'll see how it goes right interesting yeah but overall what are your guys' thoughts on this one um Uh, i like it i think it's got very like it continues having outstanding art i really like the style on this page it's very similar to what we saw on the first one which i think we mentioned was kind of a standout between the first mm -hmm, issues we mm -hmm. we read um I do think it's a little bit too jokey for my tastes. Um, I, I'm i not sure about this degree of levity uh, for the kind of stories that we've been reading, but I also appreciate the general style, um, and I, I am endeared to the characters uh, successfully, so that's all right. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing more of the Shi'ar Empire, which I know absolutely nothing about. I don't know if they're have ever showed up in the MCU movies that I've watched or something like that. Uh, but I'm, you know, I have elected to get those removed uh, from my memory. So uh, <laughs> this, these are going to be kind of a blank slate regardless. Yeah, that's very fair. Yeah, I don't think they've really messed with the Shi'ar. They're, again, typically kind of considered an X-Men thing. Um, kind of surprised they haven't really touched them at all in, like, the Guardians movies. But, uh, yeah, um Again, these are fun. Uh, the levity of them is very different from a lot of the other stuff that's happening right now, except for maybe Marauders. But even still, this feels like almost a different level of that. Uh, the art's really good. I like the characters. It's it's a fun couple of issues. Um, I feel like this has always kind of been a thing with Hickman, where primarily he does do very kind of serious tone, uh, massive world building type stuff, but also... He likes himself some uh, jokey issues, and uh, the two characters he really likes to do that with are Cannonball and Sunspot, so not really surprised he's messing around with them here. It almost yeah, kind of sounds like he's just kind of washing his hands of the more serious stuff, and is like, I'm going to go, go do something fun, something light. 
Well, it's it's interesting because it's happening at the same time as this uh, X Men run too. Which, while it does, well, again, that run does seem to have its fair share. Levity does seem to be a lot more kind of in line with the tone he set for House of X and Powers of X. Yeah, one hundred percent. And you were gonna say, Sergio? Sorry for cutting you off. Oh no, I was just gonna say. Um... It, it does feel like there's absolutely no one taking anything seriously in this issue. Uh, there's the conversations that go go on in the Shi'ar Palace, um, but those seem very, you know, pushed to the side in favor of our main characters here. So I think that would be the difference with more others, where there's usually someone, be it uh, Emma or Storm or... Bishop. Um, yes, Bishop. Mm -hmm. uh, we had Shaw uh, being serious at times, and actually like putting their head in the game unlike pretty much all of these characters for which this isn't like grocery run right yeah yeah i i also kind of feel like that's because they're supposed to be young i don't think so they're not teenagers but they're more like young adults and they're yeah they're clearly just having a good time there's nothing serious going on at least for them and yeah definitely more of a laid-back approach uh, I agree it's a little too laid back for me at times, but I do like it in contrast to some of the more darker issues that we're reading, especially these next two that we're going to be talking about. Uh, so it's kind of a nice palate cleanser, almost. Uh, I kind of wish this was at the end of uh, this batch of three comics, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, it would fit pretty much everywhere being so disconnected from the, like, Xavier plot. Right. Yes. Yeah, this almost doesn't have to be related to Krakoa at all, at least so far. Yeah. All right, we want to go into X-Force a bit here? Yeah, let's get rid of all of those happy jokes, fun thoughts, and let's get into X-Force. Uh, so we have X-Force number two, The Sword of Damocles. It is written by Benjamin Percy, also released in November of 2019, and we are opening almost immediately where we left off after the assass assassination of Charles Xavier, as Magneto uses his powers to pick up the broken Cerebro helmet and kind of give a very moving speech about being willing to wait and hope for his friend's return. Yeah, we, we get a, a shot here of just almost... a. Just a lot of mutants on Krakowa just kind of gathered around Xavier, who was just lying in a puddle of blood. Yeah, there's just his dead body lying on the ground. While Magneto takes advantage of the situation to, like, give one of his speeches. Yeah, um, it's a very Magneto thing to do. I don't know how great of taste it is, but it doesn't seem like anyone's upset about it, so... Yeah, I was going to say, taste-wise, mm, a bit debatable, because he's kind of making this about him. Uh, but you can see where he's trying to get with it, because he is molding the Cerebro helmet into a sword, as he talks with Jean Grey, about how, yes, they are going to mourn his loss, but if they need to, they are still a nation of very, very powerful individuals, and they are fully ready to fight back if they need to. Yeah, there is some talk uh, on this issue about this potentially, like, the stabilizing uh, Krakoa's uh, situation politically and, you know, socially. Uh, but it doesn't really go into that. We, we quickly go into the action instead, which is kind of a shame for me. Um, but it is what it is. 
Yeah, I also wish they would go into it more since it's only implied that, yeah, this would all fall apart. Uh, which kind of just points to Xavier's important role in bringing mutants back to life. So if that aspect was gone, I can see where that would lead to things falling apart. But yeah, I agree. I wish there was more of like a, hey, why would that happen? You know, yeah, you wouldn't be able to come back, but you still have a nation. You know, that doesn't go away all of a sudden. Right. Yeah. Instead, you kind of just get like the everyone immediately gets to work in the aftermath here where you have some of them trying to bring Xavier back and trying to focus on that while the other group is trying to hunt these people down. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that does come across as well as immediately after this, Gene and Beast head to one of the cradles where a secret extra Cerebro helmet is held and Beast is going to get to work on making it online, making it function. And Gene is basically saying, hey, I know you don't have a lot of time here, but all we need is blind faith and for people to work. Yeah, and it, it feels like it, it does seem like this is the first time again that Xavier had this is the first time that Xavier has died since they've started this crackle with stuff. They don't know if this is actually going to work or not. Um, Beast isn't sure if this is going to work or not. So you have a lot of, hey, we just need to trust that this is going to work. This is the process we set up. We just follow it how we should do it. And this should work. So is Cerebro stored on the actual helmet? Is this the implication here? Right. I believe so. Which is kind of why you have those cradles that are the backups. Hmm. Yeah, I, I believe we've previously referred to Xavier's uh, backup strategy mm -hmm. carrying around the only active copy of your mutant DNA database everywhere you go probably not the greatest idea especially if you're going without uh, any sort of security right and we'll, yeah. we'll get into that a little bit too because they, they do mention like oh they shot Xavier and destroyed Cerebro while doing it we don't think they knew that Cerebro was the thing that was able to bring people back. They just, you know, shot the helmet because they were trying to shoot Xavier. And it's like, yeah, that's that'll happen. Yeah, that that's uh -huh. kind of bad. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny that it is X shaped, so it kind of gave them a target to aim at. Right. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of irony here that uh, they yeah they do kind of mention, but I don't think to that level of it. Um. And I, I have a question for you, Sergio, since this is your first time reading this. Uh, how do you take this death of Xavier? Like, does it feel like there is actually a problem here? Like, hey, something might not work? Or are you under the impression that everything is going to be fine? Um, I am under the impression that everything will be fine. I, you know, I think there is a bit of reputation about characters' death in comics Mm -hmm. um, that led me to believe that eventually we'll find a solution, and I feel like this is a solution that was promoted from the very last issues of mm House -hmm. and Powers of X, so it would not make a lot of sense to me to see it not working, um, unless this is where we are going, and you know they're about to pull some other way of resurrection uh, that we haven't seen yet. Uh, we did see some of that alluded to in... Was it X-Men number one um, with the people in the forge? 
Ah, uh, but regardless, I I do think they'll probably pull out of this one. Okay. Right. Uh, I I would again like to see material impacts in terms of like people being distrustful of the Krakoa's uh, government mm -hmm. and the council uh, because they weren't able to protect them. Uh, I was wondering, and we'll we'll get into this a little bit about why they detected the body that was entering uh, as Domino. Mm -hmm. Yes. But so so I, I, I would expect there to be some social fallout or like people complaining about what happened, especially if uh, however many people died, not only Xavier. Yes, uh, and that's actually on the next page. It gives us some more information. Uh, 33 mutants were lost, including Charles Xavier. So this was not a very small event. There there were a number of people killed during this. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is a pretty massive amount of deaths. And I'm, I'm assuming if they, the, the resurrection stuff still works, those will be brought back as well. But it is still, like, that's a that's a scary thing to happen, especially with a nation that's this new. Yeah, some guy mm -hmm. fell from the sky and started shooting around at a dance party uh, or something I remember to be vaguely like a dance party. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I would expect for there to be some ramifications to that beyond we're sad about the people who died. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I will say for some of that, I think you're going to actually get your answers. Um, but I'm not going to say more than that, you know, we'll, we'll see when we get there. Uh, but speaking on the data page I mentioned, uh, we do have the number of deaths. Uh, they found out that there was a homing device in Xavier's body that was likely from the Sokovian Treaty Ceremony. Uh, but they also note that they're pretty sure it was not the Sokovians that did it. It was probably another group. Hmm. Yeah, and so the, the technology they find is uh, connected to a group called the Reavers. This is a this is a group that's been pretty frequent enemies of the X-Men also. They're usually a group that... Uh, the, they're, they're cyborgs, more or less. Um, so, yeah, they, they kind of talk about this a little bit, how the group of assassins um, managed to get onto the plane and hijacked it. Uh, apparently, everybody on that plane is presumed dead. And, uh, yeah... Apparently, their uh, proposal for this, how to deal with it in the future, is to implement a daily EMP blast to wipe out traditional electronics on the island. And that's been approved by the Quiet Council. Um, that seems like a bad idea. Yeah, I was going to say, that was giving me strong um, United States vibes, like right after 9-11, of like, yeah, let's just implement something without really thinking about it, and we'll hope it works. Yeah, like, do does Krakoa have their own cell phones? Like, what? Uh, are you sure you want to do that? Yeah, it, it's, I'm sure it, they can. Do you think that goo guns will stop working? I I bet not. Yeah, I, I, I don't think just, so. Oh yeah, no, I'm they, sure. That, I bet they can just do some goo phones. Right. Yeah. There we go. Ooh, I would be into Krakoan goo phones. That would be sick. Yeah, you have to smear yourself in the goo before you can like talk to the other person. Right. Uh, actually, no, maybe not. <laughs> You'd be like gooey all the time. That's nasty. No, 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 no. It's fine. Yeah, you you get like super bad reception, and you're telling the other person you're like smearing yourself, but it's not enough. You right. have to get more of the goo. Yeah, just. I, I I forgot to charge my phone again. Hold on, I'm running low on goo. Uh huh. I I just gotta go grab more goo from the goo siphon. Yeah. Ugh, <laughs> that's so gross. 
<laughs> anyway, yeah, I do uh, think this is a bad, this is a bad uh, countermeasure. I would be very disappointed if um, coming off of a major terrorist attack, uh, my government proposed, uh, we're going to do EMP blasts uh, because that doesn't materially improve things at all. No, no, it does not. And if anything, it's going to make things kind of annoying and worse. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it, it is implied that the bug that was uh, in Xavier's drink or food, I think it was in a drink where we actually saw the the bug uh, when Xavier drinks it. Right. Yes. Um, it is implied that that's what enabled the terrorists to locate him. Uh, yes. But that, mm -hmm. that seems to me like the least of uh, their worries if they've got terrorists being able to land on the on the island and fool the security uh scheme yeah the the very rough and not fully implemented security measures honestly uh but it does feel very reactive like hey we need to do something let's just do this yeah like if that bug wasn't working instead of them maybe killing xavier you still have a bunch of dudes shooting up your island so yeah i, I don't know if this is the way Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, unfortunately continuing on with the gross talk uh, we are back in the healing gardens as the dead assassins are essentially being vivisected and torn apart so they can figure out how they work and we find here that these are basically Olympian level human assassins that were almost built to do this they have hidden extra bones in their arms that they can use as weapons uh, they have better lungs, better hearts, and we also learn that the white skin that is on them is actually Domino's skin that has been grafted to their bodies, and that's how they're able to evade Krakoa's detection. Right. They can pull on their ears and, like, unspool them to get rope? Yeah. This is pretty nuts. Yeah, and I think all of their teeth were filled with small explosives or cyanide or something. Like, every part of these assassins' bodies was made to kill somebody. So whoever sent them did so with that very purpose in mind. Yeah, I am kind of surprised we didn't see that, like, uh, showcased during their attack. Uh, it would have been cool to see someone, like, pull an extra uh, bone out of their arm or something. Uh, but they just had some traditional guns. Mm -hmm. If anything, that kind of speaks to Krakoa's lack of preparation for this kind of thing. Where, yeah, they had all these extras, but they didn't even need them. They just could use a gun and that was it. Yeah. I would have still liked to see them Oh, yeah, them, no. Though. Absolutely. I would have loved to have seen that. That would have been so cool. Yeah, we, we might have still uh, at some point. Yeah, yeah. And we'll, we'll see why as we keep going. Uh, we also have Black Tom feeling very sad about this since, you know, he knew something was up, but nobody was listening to him. So it's not really his fault. Uh, and uh, Wolverine in particular is incredibly angry and says he's going to go hunting. Yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a really fun exchange here with a healer where he tells healer not to make him comfortable and healer is just like no i'm not gonna do that um but uh -huh. yeah wolverine is just angry like he is out for just revenge at this point 
Yeah, and and honestly, this is kind of the Wolverine that I know, who's just kind of off doing some mission, hunting somebody or something down. Uh, and we do get a quick couple of panels of him doing that. Uh, he heads to South Korea. He's looking up the flight, trying to find more information. Uh, and he's very clearly an old man because he is using his index finger to try and type on a keyboard and is not doing very well. Oh, yeah. He he is yelling at the computer while he's doing this. It's kind of adorable. Yeah, he's kind of trying to play the character that I sound like NCIS that's really good at computers, but he clearly isn't. Yeah, it's just him sitting in front of monitors, just not knowing what he's actually doing here. But it's okay, he's about to have backup. Mm-hmm. And we are introduced to Kid Omega. Uh, he is a character that I also ran into for the first time here. And he is very much a spoiled brat, honestly. Uh, Sergio, I was, I'm curious to see what you think of him in these couple of panels that he's introduced. I do not like him. Uh, yes, <laughs> I think that's a very uh, quick way to put it. Uh, he He's not a very likable individual, honestly. He, he's the he's the arrogance of Sunspot, but without all of the fun or the good parts of him. Uh, he's just very much up his own ass, honestly. Yeah, he... Yeah, I, I know way too many people like him. Yeah, mm -hmm. this, this dude... Because I work with computers. <laughs> yep. He shows up wearing a cardigan. Uh, this man is supremely cocky. Yeah, not not the best. Uh, I actually did learn something about his shirt under the cardigan because I wanted to look into him. I didn't know much about uh, Kid Omega's backstory. So I was like, okay, let's see what this guy's all about. Um, essentially, that uh, shirt that he's wearing underneath it is the look of a, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? The propaganda look for a evil mutant overlord created by anti-mutant forces was wearing that shirt. So Kid Omega, seeing that, started to wear it uh, as a sort of anarchist move because he believes that Xavier's way isn't exactly the right way to do it and is very much into the idea of blowing everything up and trying again. Hmm. Um, there is a very fun description here where Wolverine first sees him and describes his smell. I feel like I can also immediately smell him, and that's that's just I don't know as as much as much as I don't really care for Percy's writing. I like the way this is described. Yeah, it is written like yeah, this guy is a piece of shit you know, and is clearly supposed to be that way. And it works really well because he comes across that way. Uh, but he does end up helping Wolverine here. He has found the flight, the people, the car that they arrived in, and was able to figure all of this out while doing some other things on the side. But he is at least aligned with Wolverine at the moment. Yeah. He's also uh, opened up a bunch of credit cards in Wolverine's name and maxed them out. Just for fun. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, but yeah, so they are on their way to go find these guys. We get a quick aside with Beast trying to uh, bring this note online. Yes, using some kind of indistinct almost uh, plant-like tech again that is very glowy as he's trying to get this back up. 
And he's clearly working hard, but it's not clear whether it's going to work or not. Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, we go to Seal, where uh, we're going into a printer press, is apparently where these people were located. Mm-hmm. And Kid Omega, being the incredibly powerful telepath that he is showing himself to be, knocks out the guards. They head inside, and it is not a printing press normally. It is a printing press for bodies and people, uh, specifically those assassins that we saw earlier. It looks like they have a 3D printer going, printing a nervous system on a table right now. Um, Kid Omega refers to them as gods. Wolverine tells him to stop talking like that. Uh, but yeah, this is, um, this is a scary looking facility here. Yeah, that, that line from Wolverine is kind of the first, uh, hint we have at someone rejecting, uh, the kind of new mutant ideology that mostly Magneto pushes. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I can believe I can believe there are others who don't necessarily uh, readily go along with it, but this is the first character to like say it. Yeah, it, it feels like Kid Omega has taken it a little bit far as well, where he's just it feels almost like overtly supremacist, and exi- Wolverine is just like, "Hey, no, that's not us." Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's been overtly supremacist since the first issue we've read, right? Like yes. I, I think Kid Omega's is the direction that Magneto, at the very least, has uh, tried to push it towards. Right. While Wolverine's is kind of naive in the sense that he knows that that kind of ideology is being pushed, but he, you know, kind of waves it, uh, waves it off as you know a misinterpretation of the words or a very little or literal interpretation of the words. When that that's what the words say. Uh, mm-hmm. It's it's not Kid Omega making anything up, right? Yeah, I He's... I would say if if anything, Kid Omega is what Magneto is saying, but without the filter. Right, Kid, yeah. Kid Omega is just very loud about it. Yeah, yeah. And it's not only Magneto to be clear. Like right, Xavier says it too, and uh, Apocalypse says it too, and those three are kind of some of the most prominent figures on the Krakow leadership. Yeah, and it's 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 very interesting because Wolverine even has a line here later where Kid Omega kind of mouths off again like that and he says Xavier would slap you over the head if he heard you saying that. And it's like, would he? I'm not so sure, yeah. Yeah, maybe an Xavier of a couple years ago, but this new nation-making Xavier, he might not. He might he would probably tell you to definitely tone it down, but I don't know if he'd disagree. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do think it's interesting that we get some pushback from Wolverine uh, because you know, I would have expected to see some more pushback if there was going to be from like other people. Yeah, I, I would agree with that too, uh, especially with knowing these characters from just other forms of media. I feel like some of the others would have said something, especially Jean Grey. I feel like she would have said something by now, but... Maybe we'll get that later or in a different uh, storyline somewhere. Uh, But I am glad somebody is at least speaking against it. And it makes sense that it's Wolverine. You know, Wolverine is not a big ideology guy. And he would be the quiet one to be like, hey, you know, knock that shit off. That's that's not it. Yeah, Uh, I, I do think it's interesting that it puts into contrast how passive everyone has been towards that kind of talk. 
Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And when someone finally says, uh, the, like, this is being pushed too far in terms of what's being being uh, what's being said, uh, you know, it kind of stands out. Yeah. And also something to note that now that I'm thinking about it is Wolverine said this to Kid Omega. He didn't say this to Magneto as he was floating over Xavier's corpse, kind of insinuating the same thing. You know, it's very specific that Magneto is not saying this to the bigger people. He's saying this to someone kind of off to the side. Yeah. And if, like, I would love to know, is this being whispered about? Like, are there conversations uh, in the settlements within Krakoa where people are uncomfortable about the kind of talk that's being used to refer to mutants? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I would love to see that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we might. There's a lot of story going on between all these different comics that we're reading. Uh, but uh, continuing on a bit, uh, we do go back to the healing gardens where we learn that their ears can be unspooled and used as a weapon and the teeth were removed. Uh, but you have Jean here kind of going into the mind of the last living assassin to try and learn more information And she looks into his mind, and we get this really, really pretty, kind of beautiful, full-page look of Jean, where there's just these faces kind of coming off of her, as she has no idea what she's seeing in this guy's mind. And honestly, looking at the page, I have no idea what she's looking at in the guy's mind either, but it's really psychedelic. It's cool. It looks like peacocks. Yeah, Yeah, it kind of does. Yeah, I can see the peacock feathers now, looking at it. Uh, Those are eyes, aren't they? Yeah, it it does kind of look vaguely like eyes as well. Uh, It's a nice-looking page. Mm -hmm. I I don't love the uh, art of these, but when it looks good, it does look good. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it it, it pops off every now and again. Yeah, I I do appreciate this art. I I do kind of like it, Uh, but it might be because of the contrast with another issue we have yet to read. Yes, um... We'll, also very possible. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, <laughs> um, the Strange Case of Phineas Hook. A rather long data page that can be summed up by saying, Domino found somebody weird. It was a setup. She got caught. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I, I was kind of reading this. I'm not sure. So th- this person was apparently made up. Was she following around a physical person that was made up, or was she just following him, like, digitally? And that's how the trick was happening. Because, like, the coffee cup thing, I think, made me think that she was following an actual person. Was it just, like, someone pretending to be this person? I think it's both. It, it Yeah, the coffee cup thing makes me think that she was actually physically following him. Which... Honestly, if they were using this guy just in general to set up her capture, then yeah, I could see them using another assassin just to pretend to be this guy. Yeah, I I do think uh, the person or identity she was following got switched at some point when they realized uh, she was onto them. Right. Ooh, I could see that too, definitely. Uh, So yeah, we have... um... We have some more Kid Omega and Wolverine talk where Wolverine does straight up call out the ideology here where he says, I know what Magneto says, but we're not gods. Yeah, and specifically also, humans aren't devils. Right. It's a it's a very specific pushback toward that ideology, kind of. We've already talked about this plenty, but it's just more of that. Um, 
And as he's saying that, this uh, creepy muscle man comes alive. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And we, we start coming into uh, comic book territory as the different uh, meat bodies of these half-finished assassins kind of wake up and start attacking these two mutants for investigating their printing press. Um, and it's also, it's, I feel like the contrast here is pretty interesting because the, the thing that goes on is apparently they have psychic dampeners, which is Kid Omega's powers. Uh, so he can't do anything in terms of using his powers here, and the cockiness just fades away, and we're just left with pure panic. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Which, to be fair, I would also panic when, like, a half dozen meat monsters are trying to rip me apart, and the only one that could save me is the angry short Canadian man. Like, I, yeah, I would be scary, too, if my only defense is now gone. Yeah. And, and yeah, again, it does feel like a natural reaction, but it, again, I, I find it very interesting as a contrast to how he was acting before. Uh, like, as soon as the powers are gone, he just kind of melts. Oh, yeah, no, absolutely. Kid Omega is, he barks a lot, but his bite, once you take that away, he's hes honestly nothing. Right. Yeah, I, I do think this is a bit, and I wonder if this is hinting towards, like, people on the internet uh, kind of talking uh big uh and pushing this sort of like supremacist ideologists and then again being all bark mm-hmm. um so i wonder if it's kind of an opportunity to like riff on that especially given the subject matter that they were talking uh previously possible i i could honestly see that uh, especially when this was written when that kind of talk was very very loud on the internet um so i could see him being a sort of a way for the writer to work through that. Um, and uh, we see here as Wolverine is taking most of the lead that because there is a psychic dampener, that probably means they're hiding something. Uh, so Kid Omega is tasked with going to look to find her. And he does, as Domino is in a tube, half-skinned alive. Uh-huh. Yep, and that more, is... More work for healer, I guess. Yep. That is our cliffhanger here. Mm-hmm. Domino, despite her power being luck-based, is having a really bad time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do think there's a very interesting conversation that they're trying to propose here, especially with the first issue, where it's like, hey, yeah, we're a nation, but we're not fully set up logistically. Domino's been missing for a while, but nobody's really gone to look for her. And now we find out the whole time she's been gone, she's been skinned alive, and who knows what else has happened to her in this time frame. Um, yeah, and so that is about our issue. Do we want to? We have any other parting words for this? Um, not really. I do. I do think the data page uh, on the strange case of Phineas Hook was a bit weak. Uh, this feels like a short prequel that they had to squeeze in uh, in order to provide some context for what happened before the first issue uh, but yeah I, I didn't I didn't think this was well suited for a data page yeah I, I agree yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like that is a story that could probably play out later or even have Domino explain herself 
Uh, so it is kind of a weird thing to do. It's almost like they felt like they had to have a data page, so they put something yeah, there. Yeah, I was about to say whether they had a quota or something that they had to fill. Yeah. The the thing I have noticed is it does seem to be two pages or data pages for the most part in some of these. Hmm. Maybe, maybe it was a Hickman decision of like, hey, these are really cool. You guys should try using them. Right. Um, I, I think this was an improvement over last week's. Uh, yeah. I, I like this most uh, a little bit more. Uh, it felt less gratuitous, uh, even if it was still a little bit gratuitous. But yeah, it, it, it's okay. It's not my favorite, but uh, I think it was better than Excalibur of this group. Mm. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I do think it is. Uh, it's not as disjointed for one. Right. And I think that alone makes it stronger as a whole. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with you. I, I've never really thought of the two in comparison, because in my brain they're very different, and they are. But I think I would agree, honestly. Yeah, Excalibur is really disjointed, and while X-Force doesn't really have very high moments, it doesn't have a lot of lows either. It's just kind of steady. Yeah. So do we want to go on to uh -huh. uh, Fallen Angels? Ah, yes, the highest of highs with no lows at all. Oh, you mean the podcast's not over? Uh, no, it's not. We we have to get to our favorite uh, comic here. Uh, All right. Okay. All right, we can do this. We can do this. We're only at Fallen Angels number two. Uh, Shoto, written by Brian Hill, also released in November of 2019. Uh, and honestly, the cover of this one, not that bad. I think it's fine. Uh, it does not explain what is going on in the issue, however, which is very odd, uh, but it's a fine cover. It does happen to have more colors than the rest of the issue combined. Yes, and maybe that's where all the budget went. All of the color budget went on the cover, and the rest of it they just had to fill with a lot of black space. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, and speaking of dark spaces, uh, we are in London in the past in a very, very dark building where a man is trying to proposition Psylocke for asylum away from their Assassin's Guild. And instead of giving it to him, she instead kills him, because people like them are never free until they die. Yeah, um, rest in peace that guy, I guess. Yeah, but you know, you gotta show how much of a badass and committed to the cause uh, Psylocke is. Yeah, committed to the Assassin cause in the past i get i don't really know what this adds like e even when they kind of go into exactly what was going on here later in the issue it's just like okay i i will cover it more as we go i get what they're trying to do i just think they're so heavy-handed and forward about it that it doesn't work uh, we'll we'll get to that when we get to the data pages too. Speaking of those, uh, where it's pretty much laid out specifically what they're trying to do, uh, but we'll we'll get to that pretty soon. Yeah, uh, I, I, my my issue um, is so much about like the heavy-handed, as you said, Orientalism here about people living by a code and like not valuing life because they value their honor more and. Yeah. They they are bound to to the promises that they've made, um, and this is it. It's so again heavy handed. I yeah, I, I, can't, I just can't get into it. No, it's in that regard. Yes, with the Orientalism, it's really bad. <laughs> um, 
it, it's very stereotypical, honestly. Uh, it's not very good. And we, we see some more of this as Psylocke is fighting off some more of the assassins. And it, it, there's some text overlaying it that basically says, when you serve the clan, that's all you need. You, have, you are not a person. When you desire, you fall. You are a tool. You're not a person. And that's mm-hmm. basically the theme here. Is, and it's going to be reinforced over and over and over again that this was her past and it's still kind of her present. Uh-huh. Yep. So we were back on Krakoa in the middle of a blackout as well. Lots of blackouts. Yeah, this, yeah it's 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 issue. nuts that just none of the power is on or the fire's going, I guess. Or uh-huh. the fact that nobody comes out during the day, apparently. Right. Yeah. Um It's just a no bioluminescence day in Krakoa. Yeah. Ah, yes, yes. That, that happens every now and again, you know. Uh but we yeah, we are back on Krakoa where X23 uh, says that she will help Psylocke find Apoth. Because when Psylocke showed her uh, the psychic vision a bit of the past, she found that the anger that resides within her is also within Psylocke. And in that way, they are similar. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. She she wants to be able to control her anger and uh, harness it. And Psylocke says she can make... Uh, I can make you its master, but every master is a slave. Uh, Lara is also confused, as I am, by this. It's it's an attempt at being, like, really deep about it, of, like, yeah, you can master it, but it's always gonna have a hold on you, or something. But, again, it doesn't work. Um, and I, I think that's the main problem here, is, you know, I don't know if it is the writing, or if it's just the story in general, like, if this was written by a different uh, writer or a different author, maybe it would work out. But as it is right now, this dialogue is very clunky. I don't know why Laura is with her and telling her this. I don't know why Psylocke says that. It just kind of happens. Yeah, the thing for me is the usual trope when a conversation like this happens and it leaves someone confused can either go in, can go in two different directions. Either Psylocke is too into her own philosophy that she is unable to provide um, practical advice and then she has to learn about being able to connect to others in a way that goes beyond what she has learned in the past or Mm -hmm. um, this is the other person being confused because they have yet to learn the ways of um, you know the being master of your uh, of your power and things like that um, and I don't know what way this issue is leaning towards. I think it might be the latter, which is disappointing. Uh, but I, I am not clear on that. And I think that's an issue. Uh, because by this point, you usually know uh, how to read the confusion. Uh, but again, like Tim said, the confusion is kind of a reflection of how confused we are by where <laughs> these, uh, where, where, what they're driving at. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, and once you said that as well, I've noticed, and I'm going to double check as we keep going along with this, but I'm fairly certain almost every single scene in this issue ends with Psylocke walking away. Hmm. Yeah. So far it's happened twice as we've been talking. Uh, 
I, I think they kind of do end up answering this question a little bit later in the issue also, and uh, I don't know if that's very satisfactory either, so we'll we'll wait a little bit and we'll kind of talk into that. But, yeah. Uh, right now we're going back to the carousel because uh, we just keep showing up at this bonfire. Mm-hmm, where it is still nighttime, people are still dancing and drinking, and there's music going on, and it's still really dark out. Still. Yeah. Uh. Cable is here, it, trying to feel something again. I, I don't know who this is. It's, it's not Cable. This is not the same person that was in X-Men number two. You can't, you can't fool no. me. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, this is a very different person. The, from the Cable that was making fun of himself in the middle of a fight for giving someone a grenade to I'm waiting we, to feel what they feel. I yes. thought it might stick. I'm like, who are you? Yeah. It's uh, it's very dark and edgy just to be dark and edgy. It's not saying anything. Yeah, the, I think the implication here is he's read up on Overclock and he's angry about it, so he cannot be like into the dance right now. Yeah, but it, it just comes across as just like needlessly edgy in a way that this character just isn't. Yeah, and you know, as Sergio said... Cable did find out more about Overclock. Uh, in uh, Sao Mateus, there is a cartel there that is basically forcibly using labor to create this drug. Uh, and apparently he had a contact there that is now dead, and this really, really upsets him, and he wants to go do something about it. Uh, yeah, I, I do think there is a way to play this uh, in a way that is in line with what we saw from him in X-Men, Mm -hmm. uh, because he's got a loving family. He's got like a really kind of ideal relationship with uh, his his family, regardless of the previous uh, you know experiences he may have had. Um, so him finding out about Overclock and making him righteously angry, uh, I think does have a place in the characterization we've seen so of him so far. Mm -hmm. Um and, and him recognizing it's not the time to be jokey when he even though he did gave a grenade to that guy earlier, um, but in here I do think it's too abrupt that we see nothing of that and we see nothing of how he got to this point, uh, that it does feel like a different character entirely, right? Yeah, yeah, and again that makes me wonder what this would look like in the hands of a different writer because I agree now that you especially since you put it that way with his family you know coming at it from that angle especially because he does focus on the uh, child slave labor that this cartel has uh, and you really could focus it on that and make this about family and maybe how all three of these characters who seem to be struggling need a family and you could kind of go at it in that angle but that doesn't feel like that's what's going to happen uh, especially here as Psylocke essentially tells Cable, no, I'm not going to help you. Uh, she says, every time we leave Crack the Wall, we risk turning it against us, which I, what are you talking about? Yeah, I don't get that either. Like, the uh, first time they left, it didn't turn against them? Is it because she's uh, kind of doing this clandestinely? She did have to procure a way out of Krakoa on the previous issue. So yeah, I think what I'm... she means by this is she's exposing uh, herself to like retribution and not being able to easily get out of Krakoa in the future, which would hinder their advances. So yeah, maybe, maybe they're just has to be like, really like it, it has to make a big impact instead of like going to 
a place just to help the kids. Right. That that I feel like is probably the best reading of it here of just they need to make sure they are on to something specific and this is going to lead them to overclock because they aren't going to have very many chances to do this. Yeah. Um but yeah, um Sidewalk Cy- shuts it down and this scene ends with Cable walking away, so it's got that going for it. Almost. Uh-huh. Almost, because the scene continues after Cable leaves, very upset, and Dazzler shows up for a very brief moment, trying to tell Psylocke to have a good time, and Psylocke says no, and she walks away. Joy, so that's joy walk away count number happened. three. Yep, okay, we, we got there, we got there. <laughs> Heck yeah, <laughs> I want to see how, how high we can go with that count. Uh, and now we are at the dreaded data pages. As we get the way of the hand and an explanation of the assassin's cult, essentially, that Psylocke was a part of. Did, and did it's we, a lot of text. Did we realize this was the hand she was in last issue? I don't remember. No, it oh. was just referenced as she was in an assassin group. Okay, hmm. so yeah, the, the hand's a pretty popular, uh, not popular, but a, a pretty well-known assassin's group from this universe. Uh, they show up pretty frequently in uh, Daredevil. Yes. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, if you watch the Daredevil Marvel show, uh, that is where Elektra comes from, and he fights the hand a lot. Uh, also, just small fun fact, if you know Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, the Foot Clan is a ripoff of the hand. So, there you go. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, this is a, a pretty text-heavy data page essentially explaining that when you are a part of this assassin's group you are not a person you are a weapon and an extension of your master and your master knows everything else you don't need to know anything because you're a weapon Uh uh-huh yeah yeah um it's uh it's you know i i can see what they're going for with this trying to be like hey, look at this evil Assassin's Guild where people are things and not people. But it's written very bland. Like somebody's first attempt at writing an evil organization. I do think it's very verbose. Um, yes. The statements alone are probably enough for me to like be clued into what they're all about. So getting whole paragraphs associated with each one is a little bit deflating. Yeah, and it's kind of doubly reinforced because this is actually two data pages. So we get the text-heavy one, and then we get a very brief kind of reinforcing of those tenets. And it's it's not really needed. Uh-huh. Very redundant. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I feel like we kind of get an idea of what they're about pretty easily, and it just kind of, I don't know, my, my eyes glaze over a little bit at this one. Yep. Um, again, I see what they're doing, and we're going to see this as well as uh, we're back in the past again, as a woman is trying to be killed, and Psylocke essentially saves her, and tells her to leave the country, gives her money, and tells her where to go, and says she's doing this because she, you know, saw into her husband's mind and saw how her husband loved her so much. So Psylocke was doing this, as a a bit of a a way to clear her conscience, almost. Yeah, so the, this is the wife from the husband that she killed earlier. Uh-huh. Um, anyway, this didn't work out too well. They found her and tortured and killed her. 
Yes, but specifically, the lady never mentioned Psylocke, which I good for you, I guess. Um, but it, it, I, this is where I kind of see what they're going for here, where it's a reinforcement of that hand tenet of they are weapons, they are not people. And it's a kind of a reoccurring theme here of once you desire, you fall. So once you have something worldly, you're going to fall apart. And we saw that with Psylocke because she has a daughter, which is something you're not supposed to do. So the implication here is that she is still trying to fight that programming where she needs to kind of learn to live in a world that will allow her to have desires and not let her be a weapon. But again, like we've been saying all this issue, it's done very clunky. Like, this is not very clear. I didn't really see this until I read it twice, and I did not want to read it twice. So, <laughs> it's, uh, I'll give them points for being able to see what they're trying to do. Yeah, uh, meanwhile, Mr. Sinister is sitting in a chair. I think so. I can't even barely see the chair. I just see a lot of weird tree mechanical pieces everywhere. Looks very H.R. Geiger-ish. Yes, I was thinking that as well. It's. I will say this in particular with all of the Geiger-esque pieces all over the panels, I kind of like it. Uh, it's clearly done to hide the fact that there's not a lot of background going on. Uh, but I think it works. It works for Sinister at the very least because he's a very disturbing, creepy character, especially here. Yeah, I, I would yeah. agree. I do like the aesthetic. There's a lot of little flourishes they try to do with the panels. Right. Um, I feel like they're trying to use them to distinguish between locations. Um, but it's it's not as... It's not enough to kind of justify the lack of backgrounds in general. Yeah, it, no. it helps. Uh, it, it doesn't... It doesn't solve the issue. No. No, not, not at all. Especially when you have panels, especially one here, where you have Psylocke, Sinister's face, and then Psylocke. Psylocke is in the same exact position, except she now has an arm up in one of them. Nothing else changes. Which I have seen done in other comics, uh, but usually to much greater effect than it is here. Here it just seems very lazy. Mm -hmm. I hadn't noticed that, but yeah, it's exactly the same drawing. Yeah, and uh, speaking of the context here, um, essentially she needs Sinister's help again, and he says the price for that is to tell him something interesting. So he asks about the butterflies, which are manifestations of Psylocke's psychic power. And we learn here that uh, Elizabeth Braddock, or Betsy, when she had Psylocke's body, they were hers. They were kind of her invention. And... Psylocke, now that she is free of Betsy, really hates the symbol, but has kept it to try and make it something her own. And that aspect I actually really like. I like that idea of her trying to reclaim this symbol that has kind of been an oppression for her ever since she was very little. Well, it, it doesn't seem like she hates the symbol as much as she hates that she likes the symbol. Um, like, it, it's something that she does kind of find meaning in in as well and doesn't like that she has something in common hmm i didn't read it that way but i kind of like that I, I never thought of it that way so i i hope we kind of see them discuss that at some point instead of the attempted discussion that happened in the first issue yeah I, i'm not feeling very confident about 
her confronting the inner turmoil of her past. No. Um, it like the whole situation with the other Psylocke is still already very kind of icky. Um, yes. And I yeah I I think uh, I would rather them stay away from it. <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm okay with that as a take. I'm okay with that too. Uh, would you you know would you feel comfortable if they confronted that with a different writer, not this one? Uh, who knows? I think out of everything we've read so far, that's what kind of pings me as uh, I don't know who could write this that would portray it sensibly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, and yeah, I, think, I, I think that's a I, fair I do take. believe they kind of wrote themselves into a corner um, that I wouldn't know how to untangle it out of. Yeah it's, yeah, it's a very icky part of the character history that's you it, it's it's kind of hard to ignore but it's very hard to address as well yeah i i do like the hint at it here where she's like trying to deal with that without directly addressing it um yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A, a a light spot in a very very dark issue uh, uh, but sinister seems pretty pleased with it so yeah so we get our next page, which is in Cable's safe house, where uh, she seems like she's going to go along with uh, what Cable wants to do. She's going to go with him to Brazil. Um, she mentions she can teach Cable about war and can teach Laura about rage, but wants to learn goodness from both of them. Uh, that, I feel like, is kind of the answer to the question about like the whole confusing statement that Psylocke is wording. I feel like it's almost a little bit of both things, where it is the the confusion is supposed to be kind of both Psylocke isn't able to put herself in Laura's shoes yet and also Laura doesn't know what she means. Uh I don't really like that. I feel like that's kind of a lazy way out of it. Yeah, it, I once you've pointed that out, yeah, I do think this was the initial pitch for this storyline of of like hey, Psylocke will learn how to be a kind person and the other two will learn how to conquer their rage or whatever. But that doesn't come across. Uh, the only way it has is because they had to spell it out here that, hey, this is what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Um, I, I do think, uh, you know, I could go for something like this again if it was communicated better. Mm-hmm. Um, them not having the tools that they need to communicate uh, correctly and then, you know, having to resolve those that lack of communication or make up for it somehow would be interesting. But Mm -hmm. there isn't that, like, they don't have any crutches. They don't have anything to lean on. Uh, Conversations end in them walking away without resolution. And that's where it fails for me. Um, There is no attempt made to bridge that gap in communication, um, even if it's through imperfect means or even if it's, uh, you know, hurtful for one of them or whatever um it does feel like a very cowardly approach to we cannot talk uh or we cannot communicate so i'm just going to walk away um how are they going to move past their uh that stage uh if they are not actually confronting each other yeah yeah, no, I would agree. And I agree with you that I would actually really enjoy this kind of a story if it was told a little better. 
and also thinking about it, I'm not sure how fully this ties into Krakoa so far. Uh, you could tell the same story at a different point in the X-Men history, uh, and I think it would still work. So I'm curious to see if we get even more of an Krokoa aspect to it, other than just being a kind of a, not even a roadblock. It, it doesn't seem to be stopping the characters, you know, other than them saying so. Yeah, I, I don't think this story has to be, like, directly connected to Krakoa, but the way in which they've tried to tie it is ineffective. Yeah, it, it feels a little clumsy. I kind of agree with uh, Sergio yeah. there. I don't know if it needs to be something that's directly tied to Krakoa either. It's a, I think it's okay to have some of the characters just do some stuff outside that, but... Yeah, like, New Mutants is completely outside of Krakoa. Yeah. And they still were able to, like, place it and uh, contextualize it within the Krakoan time frame by having that conversation uh, with Sunspot where he explains about the uh, mutant language and uh, the council and stuff. Right. And it, mm -hmm. it flows a lot more than, uh, you know, the idea that they cannot do a lot of incursions because someone might get mad at the island. Uh, especially when, again, we've seen no signs that that is actually a looming threat. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with you. And honestly, yeah, that's a really, really good way to put it. Um, I, I think for me, uh, especially after House and Powers of X, with the sandbox that Hickman made, I want to see people play around in it more. Uh, but I would also be fine with stories that are not directly or not directly, not fully connected to Krakoa, like New Mutants. You know, I'm actually enjoying it, uh, reading it again and seeing all of this and being able to discuss it. I'm coming away liking it a lot more. Um, and it, like you said, it's not totally Krakoa'd. Uh, so this one, yeah, it could be the same, but again, it's not happening. Uh -huh. And uh, speaking of not happening, uh, travel time does not exist as uh, they all agreed to go, and suddenly now they are simply in Brazil. Well, they got, uh, they got gates. I'm sure they... It's true. They, they got gates. I don't know if there is specifically a gate in this cartel-run town. Yeah. Um, but you know what? That doesn't matter. Uh, the, because the Marauders they're... did sail towards Russia. Yeah. Uh, from one from one page to another, so I'm gonna give this to them. Yeah, I'll, I'll give them a pass on that one. That's just okay. Okay, that that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, we we got a we got a big metal machine that attacks them, and that's our cliffhanger. Yep, and uh, taking a pretty drastic departure from the well choreographed fights in Marauders, where you can very much see what's going on and follow the choreography. Uh. Here, not so much. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of laser beams, um, cable shoots it a couple times, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, that's our that's our issue. Um, uh huh. Yep. Yep. Uh, shout outs to Laura's really weird stance on the last page. I don't know what she's doing and what it's trying to achieve. Sometimes you gotta pose, I guess. It pose like a bird trying to take off in flight. That looks uncomfortable. It looks extremely uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah, that is Fallen Angels number two. Uh, hey, it's there. It's part of Krakoa history and is going to live forever. Uh, yeah, um, so... Yeah, uh, um, two weeks from now, we'll talk about X-Men number two, or X-Men number three, <laughs> uh, Marauders number three, and Excalibur number three. 
Yay! Back to fun. Yeah. Yeah, so, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, I I am also looking forward to seeing where else we're going to go here. Um I know I'm we are all being very down on Fallen Angels, uh and I feel rightly so. But I do think it gives a nice contrast to all of the other stories and that yeah, you know, comics while the rest of them seem very easy or air quotes easy because they're done so well, uh a comic done well is not that common, you know. You will get some duds. You are going to get some ones that maybe don't land as well. So I'm glad we are at least seeing that a bit here um, to at least contrast the others. Or maybe it's Stockholm Syndrome and I'm stuck here forever. <laughs> I, I do feel like the Fallen Angels defenders at times. Um, I, I, I do think it's not as good as any of the others. Um, but it's kind of, you know, fending for itself a little bit. We'll see how, how it goes uh, two episodes from now. All right, you heard it here first, folks. Sergio is a certified Fallen Angel stan. Uh, he is their number one fan. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Maybe it, maybe it takes a change, and maybe you will come out the other side uh, a changed man. Look, you gotta... Sometimes you just gotta roll with the punches a little bit. Honestly, it's not as bad as I remembered it, but I, yeah, I, I do think it's my least favorite of the three. Um, but I don't want to harp on that too hard, you know. Sometimes we just need to be kind of positive. Mhm, mhm. Uh, yeah. So we're, yeah, where can they find you? Uh, people can find me at Fireblend, F I R E B L E N D, on uh, Twitter and co-host. And uh, they should follow my other podcast, uh, Stray Reads. Uh, we're very close to recording our second episode. Um, I hope you give it a shot. And if you are looking for me, you can find me at Sonics on Twitter. S-A-W-N-E-E-K-S. Uh, I mostly talk about Pokemon a lot, actually. Um, and uh, Tim, if they are looking for you, what can they do to not find you? Um... Yeah, um, don't don't look me up on Twitter. Okay, if they do, will you contact your space lawyer? Yeah, um, we'll we'll be in touch. Okay, I will okay. I will send a season desist if you somehow find my Twitter account. Please don't do that. Uh, but yeah, um, please send uh, us an email you... at Study of X if you just uh, want to write into the show. Tell us how we're doing. Yeah, uh, let us know more about Deathbird. Let us know more about the uh, interesting politics of the Shi'ar Empire, of course. Uh, and if you are looking to follow the podcast on any social medias, we are at Study of X on Twitter and on Tumblr as well. Uh, we post there. We post updated uh, read-along lists, uh, the music that we use for each episode, and so on and so forth. Uh, so if you're interested, definitely give us a follow. Uh, and if you are still listening here, thank you once again. And if you could review us on your favorite podcasting app, that would be great. Uh, we have heard here that apples are the best way to do that. So if you are listening to an Apple podcast, definitely give us a review there uh, as that would help us out. Yes, it would. Yeah. All right, then. That's an episode. Yeah. Uh, good luck, everybody. Don't go to space jail. Uh, and if you do, do not contact the worst lawyer in the galaxy. That's a bad move, honestly. 
but you can if you want. It's, it's really just up to you. No, don't, don't do that. Uh, anything Tim says is not legal advice. Please don't use it against us. All right. All right, then. All right. Later, mutants. Bye.